Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate, weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 205 of uh, the uh, uh, Stargate Oral History Project, Dial the Gate. Uh, we have had a lot in flux lately. Um, the WGA has been on strike for, I think, 73, 74 days now, uh, Writers Guild of America, and now SAG-AFTRA, the, uh, the actors, um, are now striking as well. So Hollywood ostensibly is shut down. And uh, next week, it's going to hit Comic-Con right in the feels. Um, so my interview with Tony Amendola was, of course, canceled because uh, by an interpretation of the, um, of, uh, the SAG-AFTRA uh, requirements, uh, they're not allowed to promote any potential material. I didn't want to just have Tony on to promote past material. I wanted him to talk about what he's doing. And then I read this over at GateWorld, if I can pull this up real quick. As kind of a, a tee up. Um, let me see here with you guys real quick. Okay. This was uh, a article that Darren Sumner posted about, well, now we don't want a new Stargate announcement based on where everything currently is right now. Because some of the things that are coming down the pipe in terms of uh, expectations for the next contract are so radical that everyone's like, okay, let's let's back off of this and figure out what's going on here. Let me not belabor the point anymore because they've been very generous um, with their time. Jenny Sum, uh, Jenny Steven, I almost said Jenny Summer, <laughs> Jenny Steven of Clio Consulting, uh, digital marketing uh, veteran of a uh, number of years in Hollywood. Let's just put it that way. She is back to discuss this with us as well as Darren Sumner, uh, owner and managing editor over at GateWorld, uh, who uh, has had his thumb on the pulse of this. Darren. How do you write this? How do you how do you distill everything uh, that has been going on for the past several months with with the WGA and then plug that into SAG-AFTRA? Did you just like, have a stream of consciousness when you read when you wrote this? What's going on? Yeah. Oh, and you hi, how some, are you? Hi, welcome to my show. No, this is your show. <laughs> you said some very nice things to me after I published the article, and and it was just. Honestly, it was the three of us were trading emails the day that the SAG strike yeah. was was greenlit on Thursday. And so I just started, it starts with kind of flood of consciousness. How do I want to talk about this? And I... Uh, hi, Tim. Hi, Tim. Tim's Sorry. made his dial the gate. My, my personal delivery of coffee. <laughs> yeah, where's mine? Uh, if okay. I could Star Trek it to you, I would. All right. <laughs> Well, this is what I'm uh, having to deal with after, you know, going through all of this. So, oh. <laughs> okay, Darren, so, please you continue. Know, you know, I, of course, follow the trades. And, and because I'm I'm covering the Stargate franchise for GateWorld, I'm always reading the trade news in the context of what does this mean for Stargate? Yeah. Uh, because we are still, believe it or not, anticipating that Amazon and MGM are going to announce something at yeah. some yeah. point. 
and Jenny can talk to us more uh, in that regard. But in terms of the the strike, right, the writers have been on strike for over two months now. It was the writing was kind of on the wall that the actors were probably going to strike as well. And once it was announced and, and we started going back and forth about it a little, the three of us, um, I I process things by writing it out. Okay. And so I started writing and I didn't know if there was going to be an article at the end of it. And then I finished, I actually finished it on Thursday and didn't publish it. Because I had right, the headline's kind of cheeky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, target announcement. Get your act together. Uh, it's kind of cheeky. I didn't know if I was going to piss people off, so I sat on it until Friday and decided to go ahead and pull the trigger. And it's getting a really great response so far. And hopefully, it's it's uh, the the point of it is clear, which is not just to step Stargate fans through what's going on right now and what the potential implications are for the summer and for when right. studios going to be able to start talking about Stargate yep. again. But also to be able to, you know, kind of throw my part of yep. fandom, yep. Uh, throw my weight behind uh, the the actors and the writers. They need a fair contract. And that's all I think any of us are asking for is not the moon, but a fair contract, a fair deal so that the industry can get back to work. Can you summarize, please? And summarize the whole article for you? Yeah. Will you go over to gateworld.net? Yes, please do oh. that. The link is in the description below. So please read along. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The the quick summation for those who have not been following the trade news is that uh, uh, the Writers Guild has a contract, the Directors Guild has their contract, the, the Screen Actors Guild has their contract with all the major Hollywood studios uh, for production, and those contracts have expiration dates. So we've been know it, we've known for years that this was going to be the expiration date of the the existing contract. The last time it was renegotiated, mm-hmm. uh, and. In the years since the last contract was negotiated, well, the the TV streaming world has completely transformed. What have we had? Ten, I think we're up to almost ten thousand new streaming services that mm-hmm. have have launched in the last five years. That sounds about right. Yeah, ten or twelve thousand. I know I pay for most of those in my <laughs> subscription wallet. Um, so right, streaming has totally okay. changed. The- Jenny's going to give us the industry insider uh, appreciation of this. The, the the game has been totally transformed. Yes. Now in 2023, AI has complicated things even further because, ooh, AI is not quite there yet, but you can just picture all the studio executives looking at it and saying, yeah. once it's matured, boy, how many writers, how many actors can we cut out of the expenses yeah. of the show? It's gotten good enough to scare everyone. Yep. That's that's the the uh the 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 tri- whatever that we've inserted well, quote our here that original, we've passed. Yeah, think about the first AI script that we had with Lawrence Moroni over at the Companion. Yeah. And that's about a year and a half ago now, and it was all gibberish, right? And yeah. look, Lawrence gave us essentially a sneak peek of what Google has now come out with with Bart. And it it is unequivocally leaps and bounds. So Moore's law exponentially advancing processing every month, every week, every day. And so when you look at Moore's law, this makes sense. AI now compared to a year and a half ago is 1,010% better than it was then to the power of 10. So yeah, 
every time we do this, it's scraping more data, pulling more data, looking at more data. And every time, so Darren, everybody that's replying and commenting and reacting to your article, that gets scraped. And so your article has already been input into information about the strike as it pertains to Stargate. So anybody who's looking for those combinations, it's not just about a Google SEO or a search. AI can pull those for people to write their own article and take your content, your op-ed, your, your conclusions. So let alone variety and the quotes that you have in there from AMPTP and SAG after it, it just pulls them. So it, it's, it is going to be a much more key point than SAG and WGA originally thought last year when they were anticipating right. and planning for a strike. Darren, what were some of the specific points after you finish your thought? What were some of the specific points uh, that uh, you came away with, especially the one about one day of work? So Mm. if if you can get into that. Yeah, yeah. And we can uh, maybe uh, we'll we'll have the the full AI conversation at some point. I don't know if you want to do all that now or, or put a pin in it, but the short of it is... Right, AI is so novel. This was this was blowing the minds of the tech people who were kind of close to it just this spring, yep. before anybody had any of us normies had heard of ChatGPT uh, or Bard or any of those tools. Yep. Like Jenny said, it was when the companions start <clears throat> companions started doing this. It was kind of a fun, amusing novelty, mm-hmm. and then a few months later they did another one, and then they did another one, and it starts to sound like a competent story. So Moore's Law, you push that down the road a couple of years. And again, I imagine that personnel, HR is probably the most expensive part of, of most productions. So you you imagine a studio executive who's looking to save money on a, a premium show. And you can you don't have to hire writers. You you process the the chum out of the machine and then you just hire an editor to clean it up and make it look like a story yeah jenny you and i had that conversation and filmable yeah but uh david in terms of the other point that you that you brought up one of the the sort of explosive headlines that's come out of the negotiations couldn't believe between mptp and sag after this week uh this was revealed by the sag after uh chief negotiator uh whose name is i got it right here uh, Duncan Crabtree Ireland basically says that uh, one of the things that the studios are asking for is if you're a background player, if you're a day player, normally you you get paid by the day, right? So uh, you, you're a background player, you're the guy walking behind the actors who have dialogue, uh, or you're a face in a crowd. Uh, what is being proposed, Crabtree Island says, is that they can pay you for one day's work scan you and then use your likeness digitally forever without your permission or further compensation. And if that's true, it's bananas. Let's not mince words about it for, for actors, right? We're not talking about the, 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 the big movie stars who make millions of dollars. We're talking about the other 98% of people in the guild who are trying to make a living, Mm -hmm. uh, your likeness is is your commodity. That's what you have to sell. That's what you have to offer the community. That's right. That's part of your labor is appearing on screen with your face. Yeah, this is not 
Robin Wright in The Congress, which was, what, 15 years ago that movie came out? We're talking about a an actor who scans their, their likeness into a computer. And now, you know, we have the potential to have that now. That's wild. So the idea that the studios can take, right, not just digitally create crowds, but use real actors and digitally recreate their, their appearance as background players in crowd shots, that's crazy that they would not get any further compensation right it's just wild jenny what are your uh, yes sir what are your thoughts on on uh, uh the, the, can you can you uh, uh frame some of the uh the demands of both uh sag after yeah. and the wga for me and, for sure. and lay out kind of what's at stake in in your from your perspective you bet so just for everybody's um start from the same page AMPTP, which is what we keep hearing, it's the Alliance of Motion and Television, Motion Picture and Television Producers. So essentially, it is an organization, not a union, but a management organization that represents all of the studios and all of the streamers. Netflix, Hulu, Apple, and Amazon joined in 2009, I think, 2010. They had, you know, like NATO, they had a conditional um, seat at the table, but they've had a full seat at the table. So a couple of things that we want to make sure that everybody understands. In 2007, 2008, the writers went on strike. A big part of that strike were digital revenues and residuals. Streamers had started. Netflix was already doing DVD distribution. Obviously, that was a huge business for them. Hulu had just kicked in. I was working actually with Hulu. Nobody really knew how that was going to go. And so originally what they were doing is they were applying standard broadcast television syndication to those residuals. So syndication is when somebody buys a show and they get to play it on their channel as long as they want for that contract time for the money they've paid. Actors would be paid residuals a certain penny on the dollar or percentage every time that show or that episode that they were in got played. And that's all the way down to day players. Now, most day players get paid a day wage. Some of them get residuals. Most do not. They get paid the standard rate and that's their work. So there's a lot of different levels here. And in 2008, they agreed to a particular distribution that did not include streamers. It basically was quote unquote, a big digital revenue residual. And it was pennies on the dollar. And the reason they agreed to it is because it had already been 100 days. And what the writers unfortunately assumed is that there would be negotiation in the next round, which would be three to five years. And they wanted to see how everything fell out. What ended up happening is there's something called a minimal, minimum basic agreement. And what a minimum basic agreement does is it allows SAG, WGA, IOTC, which is all the tech, gaffers, electrical, all the people that you see behind the scenes, that's IOTC, I-A-T-S-E, Teamsters Unions, who are all the transportation, they have what's called a minimum basic agreement. And what that allows for is for everybody to keep moving forward, even if the current contract is not that great. The last minimum basic agreement was during COVID, May 5th, 2020. And everybody, everybody, every union agreed to <laughs> the minimum basic agreement of who and what got what got paid what. However, for WGA and SAG, those residuals only apply to broadcast television. 
because <gasps> AMPTP came to the table and said, well, you know, it looks like COVID's really kicking in. Let's wait and see. And then we'll come back to you with a better deal. Now, to be fair, that's not a, that's not a new negotiating tactic. Every time there is the cable revolution, radio to television, whatever it is, DVDs, and then to digital, this happens, right? The producers, the studios, everybody comes, the distributors come and say, holy crap, okay, hold on. We need to see what the fallout is because we can't promise you 10% on the back end if we don't really know how this is going to go. That's a fair negotiating tactic. And what the writers and SAG thought was COVID has stopped all production. We're not going to worry about it. What they didn't realize is what was going to happen with streaming, which of course year over year was 123% increase, not just in their revenue, but in their profits. So across. what you're saying is they were going to continue to do, it was, they were expecting it to continue to do this. Exactly. And yeah. instead it went straight up and Apple, obviously, but Hulu, Amazon, Netflix had an average of 80% to 100% increase year over year in their net revenue, their net profits. And we can talk later about how that has dropped off post-COVID. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. They had to contract and lay people off because Mm -hmm. they had hired to try to deal with that. That's fair. That's, That's just the expansion and contraction of this industry. What's not fair is that when WGA and SAG came back and said, okay, hey, guys, you made a lot of money on this and we did it. We made nothing on this. Please compensate us for that. But moving forward, we'd like to be compensated fairly. And that's the major reason for the strike. What happened in December, January, when the negotiating committees started meeting is AI started busting on the scene. ChatGPT, you had the hearing before the strike, the owner of ChatGPT, you had all of this happen in February to April before the strike happened. And so they added AI because what they immediately saw was what Darren just said, all of this could be used, their likeness could be used, and they'd never be paid for it. Now, to anybody that works in the digital industry, that's insane. We don't sign a contract. I literally am doing a contract right now for NFTs where you don't own the digital likeness. That just doesn't happen. It's, it's. I mean, we're talking in crypto marketplaces, that's not happening. So you're talking in the Wild West, we are not signing contracts and giving away likenesses. But in this last minute federal mediation at the table that started, I think, at 10 p.m. on Tuesday or Wednesday night before the deadline, AMPTP says, oh, we've come up with this great idea. This is going to be revolutionary. Well, yeah, for you, not for SAG. So what all of this means, what all of this boils down to is that this has been building and building and building for 15 years. And what hasn't happened, and I think Honestly, the blame lies across the board, or not blame, the responsibility lies across the board. I think people were caught napping about it in WGA and SAG because obviously with COVID, everybody presumed, assumed that this was not going to be a big deal because all production shut down. And PTP took advantage of that. What I find very frustrating is that there's just some three basic elements that both WGA and SAG are asking for streaming revenue. That's fair. You don't own my likeness. You don't own what I write and you don't replace me with an AI. So anything that has to do with AI. And then the third is the pension fund. Mm. Officially it's called the entertainment entertainment fund. 
WJ and SAG have very, very small pensions. It's not like the teachers union or police union or any of those. And so what they came back and said is, hey, guys, what we'd like to do is add a 5% on on the, the payment that you're making to our SAG or WGA, an automatic 5% of that will go into a pension. So in essence, the writers and screen actors are saying, hey, I'm donating to this, but can you yeah. please make sure? These are not huge asks in any union negotiation, but the studios and the streamers are acting literally like they're the victims. And I, I find it, I'm just blown away that there isn't more pragmatic approach to this because it's shooting yourself in the foot. The article that came out in Variety where anonymous producers from AMPTP and the negotiating committee told Variety, hey, we're just going to shut down and not negotiate till October because Writers and, and Screen Actors Guild, the ones that really need it, that 85%, they'll be starving by that time because the pension fund and the coverage strike fund will have run out. The strike insurance will have run out. Oh, my God. And they had no problem giving that story to Variety. AMPTP, when asked for comment, didn't deny it, just didn't want to comment on it. So the, the pragmatism is missing, completely missing. And the reason you see such outrage from the writers and from Screen Actors Guild is because you've got an inequity already in the guilds. There there are very few industries that have that top 4% make millions and billions of dollars and then 80 or 96% of the rest of the people don't make that. The one thing that SAG and WGA try to do is they have a distribution of back end on residuals. That's where it's fair sliding scale but it's still fair it's a percentage so if you make this much okay great your percentage is bigger but the percentage is the same it's like a flat tax basically why can't amptp come and be very pragmatic to the table and say yeah this makes total sense any any worker would want this this is not outrageous stop stop having interviews and articles that are over here talking about the you know, Tom Cruise's of the world, that's not the majority. And there were a couple of videos and articles on TikTok and on some of the fan groups that anybody who knows me, I was yelling at my phone at the TikTok that this guy had made. And basically what they did was they took all the numbers out of context and they said, oh, well, what we're going to do is we're going to say, here's a union day rate and here's a weekly rate. And we're going to just randomly pick Hulu as the example. And then we're going to say that this is the percentage that they'd be paid because they were there for, it doesn't work that way. They pulled all these numbers randomly and then said, see, all the writers make anywhere between a hundred to $192,000 a year. And I'm like, what? What? It's not true. And it's any statistician will tell you, you can bend numbers to come to any conclusion you want when they're taken out of context. And that's what I want everybody to understand that please, it isn't about billionaires asking for more money. It's about people who make less than I do, who cannot afford to live in the city that their industry is in. And they are struggling and they are trying to make basic living wages. And we lost, I, I, I wish I, I didn't get a chance to look this up in my research, 
But in our industry, we lost approximately 18% of our workforce after COVID because people can't afford it. They can't afford it. And that was true across all industries, frankly. So it wasn't shocking, but... It's a great point. Most of, right, there's a something like a, over 160,000 members of SAG-AFTRA. And mm-hmm. where are most of them going to live? They're going to live in the greater Los Angeles and yep. New York areas. Yep. And you make a great point, right? If the reporting is true, the, the, the studios are looking to drag this out long enough to squeeze people yep. so that... Uh, so that they're feeling it, so that they're having a hard time making rent or yep. making their mortgage payment after three months. Well, yep. that's that's you and me. Yep. Uh, that's and, it's, the, and there is a strike the fund. Majority of of people who are are voting in SAG-AFTRA yep. are the middle class. And they're the strike gonna, fund and the insurance can't cover twenty thousand writers, one hundred sixty thousand actors for six months. It it can't and. You know, I, I give credit to uh, that top 4% collectively has already donated over, I think, $2 million to the funds to help people survive. Mm-hmm. So they, the ones who are making the money are donating percentages already Many of them, to, make yeah. sure, to make sure that those who can't afford it. But there's just not as many complicating factors as there usually are with these kinds of negotiations. That's what I think just is gobsmacking to me is that this... Yes, there's always complications and it can be complex, but this is pretty straightforward. And the fact that you can't get the studios and the streamers to come to the table with straightforward solutions and proposals. And and let's be clear, some of the studios are negotiating in good faith. Absolutely. And and I I I can't I can't talk about that, but there are of the, I think, 12 major players that are at the table, at least half are negotiating in good faith and are approaching this pragmatically and saying, we want to do it this way. This is how we think it's fair. We think moving forward, this makes sense because we want to be successful. And to be successful, we need you guys to feel like you're getting paid fairly and be happy. So it's not like they're all the big bad, right? Let's not paint every studio and every streamer as our big evil villain of the series because it's so delicious and easy and fun to it do. is it feeds it into is. all of and our worst instincts the, the streamers that. are are largely the new players here and some of yeah. them are really big players who yep. who haven't necessarily been at the table at least not very long yep. in terms of yep. negotiating with actors and writers is it are they the not holdout? during a strike not during a strike at all they haven't are they the holdouts so are they the the troublemakers the netflix and apple and Amazons. Who Apple, have, from what I've heard, is not. Apple know, a couple from... generations of negotiating with actors. Yeah. I'm interested in the one that has Stargate in its back pocket. Right. So, okay, so this is what I know. And yes, I'll we're not going to... I always do. Yes, we're going to keep I'll it above the board, yes. And I'll tell you what I'm speculating. Okay. So what I do know is that Amazon is in a unique position because while the creative studios has lost money and... and you know, I, you guys both know that this is a bone of contention with me, but the creative studios did lose money year over year. Now, a lot of that was because they made a lot of money in COVID. Then they spent a lot of money on production, Rings of Power, The Boys, all of it, which to varying degrees of success. But they were legitimately pouring money into that. They are backed by a company that can cover their losses. Mm-hmm. Disney lost in the past three years depending upon the movie that you're talking about, they've lost over $990 million 
year over year in their creative studios, right? So that's Marvel, Star Wars, and their own production studios. Now, that's again, out of context, because what did they make? What did they have that was a cover? I mean, a rollover from COVID. But the point is, is that Amazon has less to lose at the table and more to listen to WGA and SAG-AFTRA. However, also, while Jen Salka and Nick Pepper and the rest of those, they're not on the negotiating committee. No. So, you know, part of my problem is I'm not a big fan of who they current, who AMPTP currently has as their negotiating committee. A, it is not very diverse. It is not very culturally diverse. It is not very gender diverse. And it's definitely not generationally diverse. So it's it's running into a bit of the same problems where SAG after it and WGA are extremely generation generation general generationally and gender and culturally diverse. So those things that they're bringing to the table, the numbers they're bringing to the table are really accurate. So while Amazon may have all the best pragmatic intentions, if they don't have a big player at the table in that AMPTP negotiating, which they do, but I don't, it's not Jen Salka who has a lot on her, uh, what do you want to call it, on her scale that she has to succeed at. I'm not sure that, that from a Stargate point of view, that that creative studios is going to fall in our favor, frankly. If we wanted to pick a big, big bad, and this is my speculation, that would be Netflix. I, I do know factually that Netflix walked away from the WGA last minute negotiations in April. I didn't know that. Um, there were quite a few proposals on the table. I would not say that they were the only ones that weren't happy, but they were the ones that physically left and said, go ahead and strike. We don't care. To all intents and purposes, that's not a quote. So I do know that they've been a sticking point for the AMPTP negotiating committee. So internally, there's problems there. They can't come to the same decision because, Darren, to your point, newest players in the game. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, Netflix probably has anywhere from one to three years of content in the can including their global productions who don't have to stop because due to the equity fund and the agreements they have with EU and Asia, all those guys can keep producing. So they have content ready to go through approximately 2026. I've heard anywhere from one year to three years. So, I mean, for, for Netflix, they're like, look, we spent $6 billion a year we went out and bought a lot of content, as you can tell, from all of the South Korean success they've had, mm-hmm. from all of the UK success, from the, the Nordics. So they've got, now they're bringing, they just had a, um, did a huge deal with Spanish production. So, and then we haven't even touched the fact that Amazon has telenovelas up the Yazoo and Univision. And I mean, they could just do Central and South American and they're golden. Now, The question is, does that really bring in the United States audience? And here's where I think the crux of the matter is. Amazon and Netflix don't really care about a domestic audience right now. It's not where they make their money. And the studios are finding the same thing. So 
I, I forget what the number was and I apologize because I was trying to put together research numbers, but the the percentage of domestic to international money is about two to one that international brings up out double or more than what they're making domestically across the board. And that, you know, that's a generalization. Again, I always want to be really clear numbers out of context, but it does allow some perspective though. Well, it does. And look for these guys, they're at the table going, okay, cool. We hear you, but I've got Mexico who wants to sell me pretty much everything that they're making for the next five years They've got actors who are up and coming who will take anything they can get. Well, not Mexico, but let's say, you know, uh, Panama, Guatemala, Honduras. They've got very active productions in Panama right now, and they are hot to sell it. Um, Brazil was really the big, when I was doing a lot of international in 2019, Brazil was the huge producer. Well, because of everything that they've gone through, Argentina has come up. So all of uh, Colombia, Colombia just offered tax breaks that have our domestic production companies going to Colombia to shoot. So a lot of the streamers, especially all the streamers, to a certain degree can walk away from the table and say, we don't have to negotiate on this because we make more money on international. The studios are not far behind. If you look at any of the most recent top 10 movies, the international gross receipts were much higher than domestic. So can we talk about Citadel here? I mean, this I was just going to bring it up where that changes is in series as opposed to film. So Citadel. So there's a couple of things here. Citadel is popular. Critics hate it. So if you look at Variety or Hollywood Reporter or Deadline or The Wrap, they all are calling it a failure. Internally at Amazon, it's not a failure. Not a failure. So this is a new Amazon series. It's uh, Richard yeah. Madden stars in this kind of uh, international spy thriller show. I haven't watched it yet. Have either? Have I have not either. I did. I liked it. But again, everybody knows me. I'm an easy audience. So you shouldn't be going by me. There's a lot of things I like that we all, the three of us especially, but everybody that's watching too, would be like oh, Jen, but I really liked it. It's fun, you know. Okay, since you've seen it, Jenny, there. why is before you get in, Darren? Why do the critics consider it awful? What's their bone well, of contention here? Their bone of contention is, is that they think the writing sucks and they think that it's using action to fill a story. Okay, they're not wrong, but considering that we have, and this is where I again another conversation, but. Everything can't be an Oscar-winning A-level movie. A B popcorn movie or series is worth it. A C popcorn movie or series is worth it. Now, here's where the difference is. If you spend A-level budget on a B or C-level popcorn series, you've got a problem. Amazon had to renew this series because they have to be able to, to... take advantage of the fact that they've built these sets. They've already paid their actors. They can basically quote unquote syndicate this because I'm sure you guys all saw that HBO max, I'm sorry, max Max. and Netflix and Amazon are now not going to keep their individual independent productions on their own streamers. They will be syndicating them out. It's another bone of contention at the table for negotiations because 
oh my gosh, look, you're not going to just make money on your own subscriptions. You're going to syndicate this out globally, which means, hey, you can make a shit ton of money without relying on your own subscription. Look at what happened with Westworld. We've already seen it from HBO Max Discovery yep. with some yep. of their what right, used to be prestige content a few years ago, Westworld and uh, The Nevers. Those those yep. and lots of other shows got farmed out and now they're on Tubi and, and Roku right. as part of that global yep. syndication. But my point about Citadel is from what I've read, it's not a failure for Amazon because Amazon's long-term plan is for this to be an international franchise. Exactly. They don't really care how many Americans necessarily That's are right. subscribing to prime video to watch the Citadel. Right. They want to be able to duplicate the formula in all these other territories. So you have local right. spinoffs yeah. of the Citadel and now it becomes this international juggernaut. It's a very it, long-term it, game plan. It is. It, it absolutely. Now look, and Amazon always plays a long-term game plan. Always, always has, it always require this show to be successful domestically. That's right. And look, this is part of a broader, and we should talk about this in another one about, because specifically for Stargated, it will have impact on it. That Amazon has a very, very long-term pragmatic approach to how they're doing the creative studios. They know they're going to lose money. Fine. What they're more concerned about is where can they make a mark in the global market, in the international market? So one of the reasons why this was a huge deal is the production company that they partnered with, the entire point is to have this be a partnered global franchise where now individual countries will have their own citadel that they produce in territory and distribute globally to their own in language. And then it would be not dubbed, subtitled, which is cheaper, around the world. So this is a very ambitious equation, but I like it personally. I, as someone who loves to work internationally and yeah. thinks that we need to get out of the US myopic, we're the best box office. I love this idea. Do they all, cool do they all share the same see. universe or is it just yeah. their own take on their the show? No, it's all shares the same wow. universe. It's, so, it's a super cool way, idea, especially for yeah. Uh, international friends have had to deal with American, right? North American centric TV and film for, for yeah. years. This is a really cool idea. I also notice as we're talking about it, that from Amazon's perspective, right? SAG-AFTRA doesn't necessarily have anything to do with exactly. this. Exactly. So they just negotiated another contract with India. But here's the, which no surprise, Bollywood. Okay, cool. So here's one that they just negotiated that might surprise people is that they just negotiated with Nollywood, which is the Nigerian film and production. Nigerian film and production for everybody that's watching is booming, huge. People, I've got literally talking to Priscilla Pesci. She's in Spain. She's hearing about proposals from Nigeria because Nigeria decided, hey, we would love to not just have our folks in our own country be slave labor for oil pipelines and diamond and cell phone yep. mining. And so what they did was they said, they looked at India, literally went and talked to them, created their own template. And now this is what they've got. And you see it on Netflix. You've got several Nigerian shows on Netflix. You have several Nigerian shows on Amazon. And I was talking to somebody who was just shocked remain nameless and they said and they speak english so we didn't have to subtitle it oh my god okay so this is a huge 
huge step for these guys. They don't care. Now, ultimately, the biggest draw still internationally is some of our biggest stars. But what I would have loved to have seen instead of this posturing, instead of this, we don't need you, we can go internationally, because let's be honest, India and China, we have to, we have to deal with that. Yep, they're not going away. The continent of Africa has at least five or six active production countries that are trying to get themselves on the map, literally. Europe already has, they churn it out. But for instance, Spain and Greece, who, as we all know, had a massive crash after 2008, 2012. One of the things that they're trying to do is build their economy back up via culture, export, and production. So they're offering massive tax breaks to shoot in Spain and Greece. Okay, (laughs) no problem here. So therefore, all of these things could have been a pragmatic approach to the table where Amazon, now my understanding is that is the approach Apple took, which is from what I'm hearing, one of the good guys at the table, where they're saying, hey, look, we're putting a lot of money in this. We know that Ted Lasso, shrinking, we've got big names, but we do want to go international. We see what Amazon's doing and we want to do it, but we're going to do it the Apple way. Mm -hmm. And to do that, that means we need you guys to be on board with us and we need to pay you correctly. It's, it, it is an internal problem with AMPTP. I truly believe that is the biggest issue at this table. And what's happening is that the very straightforward, Hey, we could be making all this money together internationally is getting lost in all of this. Oh my God, AI. Oh my God. You're not doing it. This could have been such a straightforward residuals. We're going to make all this money on international. There's enough to go around. Sorry. I get really worked up about this. The residuals is the other thing I wanted to ask you about to, to yeah. kind of drill down into the weeds a little bit. The other thing that I've been thinking about is the fact that for a lot of these, a lot of the shows on streaming, they don't report their numbers, right? Uh So a lot of the residuals for traditional broadcast and syndication television is uh, it's, it's based in some manner on performance, right? The, the, the money that, that actors make or that a writer or a director residuals are, are, well, and that's part of the negotiation. And just so you guys know, that's why Netflix walked away the first time. So yeah, Netflix so that said, I don't want to, we don't want to reveal what our streaming revenues that. are, let alone gross net. We just don't want to reveal what our revenues are. Now, my understanding is that everybody else, Amazon included, was willing to find a happy medium to this. In other words, we'll, re- we'll reveal to committees on WG exec committees who make these decisions for, you know, just like any representation uh, representative union to WGA and SAG-AFTRA, but we don't want to put it out there publicly. Uh, Okay. I mean, as, as a marketing exec, I find that really frustrating, but that's what some of the decisions that the table Mm -hmm. had come to and Netflix said, no. Now I know that for a fact for WGA, Rumor had it that they were the ones that walked away from the federal mediation as well with SAG-AFTRA. I don't know if that's true or if that was just sour grapes from some of the people that I was talking to, but it was the two people that I talked to don't know each other. And it was the same message, which is there were some people at this table who were willing on the streamer side to budge on this and Netflix was not. Now, again, that part is speculation about SAG-AFTRA. 
the the weeds on this again not terribly complex if you boil it down here's what you make here's what you put in you guys are spending an streamers are spending an enormous amount of money on production which means your revenue really doesn't count so therefore if you were just being honest about this and pragmatic about it you could very legitimately come to the table and say hey guys we really put a lot of money from 2018 to now, over $6 billion a year into production. And we're not making that amount of, let alone gross, certainly not net after all that. So we really can't promise streaming revenues and residuals until we get this figured out. Mm-hmm. That would have been an honest conversation, but that's not what's happening. Yeah. Instead, it's this very victim mentality of, we had to lay all these people off. And of course, you know, all of SAG after it and WGA are like, yeah, we know <laughs> you laid us off. And there the streamers and the studios are like, well, we had to contract everybody. And we operated at a loss last year. No, you operated at a loss year over year from COVID, not necessarily from 2018, 2019. Right. Yes, still had some numbers that were off. But if you had continued the way you had planned with your five-year plan from 2018, which they all had five-year plans from those union negotiations, then this would still be considered a successful year, year over year. So it all boils down to, and again, this is my opinion now. I don't think that AMPTP is being pragmatic. I don't think that they're being honest at the table. And I don't think from the SAG-AFTRA WGA point of view that this is complicated or asking a lot. It isn't. It's asking for fair living wages, which is what they don't have right now. So that's it. It, it is not more complicated. All the rest of this discussion and arguments and victimization and they said, she said, he said, whatever, it really isn't pertinent. And it's from my understanding, it is AMPTP that is 100% obstructing. How long could you see this going on? I have I have people from behind. John Gadetsky uh, said uh, yeah. he's, he's looking at uh, potentially no work till December in visual effects. Okay, so worst case scenario. And of course, each of these affects for longer than when it ends, right? So... Mm-hmm. It means we're looking at from whatever this ends, it's a six month to two year problem, depending upon what part of the industry you're in. If you're yeah, because they've got to spin back up. Yeah. So because right now, up until SAG-AFTRA, most productions, producers and execs could still be doing negotiations. Right now, all execs and producers can do is focus on getting these two strikes resolved. They 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 need to keep the business going. They'll deal with what already exists, what's already in the can, what can they negotiate internationally. But I mean, a, a, a negotiation and a deal that I was involved with over the past three months has just stopped. So none of that's going to keep going. Um, worst case scenario, 2024, first quarter. Because if AMPTP does what it says it's going to do, which I don't think they will, but if they did and they refuse to even negotiate and take a summer break until October, it, it takes three months and then yep. you've got holidays. Yep. I don't think that I, I'm, I'm praying that's not what happens, 
I think best case scenario is September, October. And that's if everybody can convince the holdouts. But AMPTP's attitude was so bad at this federal mediation, where even the federal mediators have been quoted as saying, I couldn't find a way through this. SAG after and WGA are pissed, rightly so. They were willing to come back to the table, try to get it done by Wednesday, July 12th. Nothing. And in fact, we're offered, Darren, to your point, the one day scan BS. So while I'd love to see September, October, I don't think that's going to happen unless there's a miracle and somebody somewhere, like it's happened before, steps in and convinces the holdouts on the AMPTP side it is in your best interest to get this done and then convinces sag after and WGA don't hold on to your anger because that's that's the danger right now. Legitimately, well, they have it. But... We're really good at doing that now. And yeah. I think uh, it, 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 looking at everything that we've been dealing with as cultures in this culture war, quote unquote, yeah. I think it's really interesting that it's now extended into into this space between these sides who are dealing with one another. And it's so much easier and personally satisfying to go, no, screw mm-hmm. you. Yeah. We're not going to sit down and talk to you. You are the yeah. other. You yeah. are the enemy now because of what yeah, you said. You're the big bad. And, and AMPTP, let's be honest, is a really, like to your point, David, earlier, a really easy big bad because they are truly, factually throwing shit out there that is insane for anybody. In I don't care if you're at a union or not. If you're just a worker, if you're management. When I saw some interviews on CNBC where they're just shaking their head going, what is going on? This is not complicated. Do this, do this, do this. Every other business in the world knows how to negotiate with unions. The AFL-CIO head literally was shaking his arm in her head at a press conference in Chicago saying, I'm really confused as to why this got to this point when we're not asking, or they, they're in support. We're not asking for anything outside of what you give to your hospitality workers, to any tourism unions. So it's, it really is easy to make them the big, bad evil, but this isn't going to work. If we back ourselves in a corner and we get so angry about how they acted and did not act in good faith so far for the past six months. Okay. But what that's not going to get you to the end result. And the part that scares me, is that there is no such thing as compromise anymore. Mm-hmm. It's my way or the highway, mm-hmm. my point or nothing. And I'm just not sure where that leaves us because the entertainment industry is made up of over 120, no, 134 supplemental industries. And these are just two writers and actors, and it is affecting a domino effect of every single one of those other industries. And I'm not saying that they're not right. They are. But we need to be able to compromise. That's what negotiating is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And done. my other worry here is happening. that it's it because of the way the industry is structured now with streaming and with so much content already banked mm-hmm. and how easy it is to go pull stuff internationally internationally 
And even, right, U.S. audiences are, are becoming more and more friendly to international production. Yeah, of course. Right? Uh, uh, subtitled or dubbed shows like Dark on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there's so much already in the pipeline that, right, how long is it going to take for for AMPTP to feel the squeeze of a strike, of a work stoppage? Uh, when right in the olden days, it was the networks uh, are struggling yeah. to get eyeballs. And so they're struggling right. with their ad dollars as of the new fall season. People people aren't happy with what they're putting on the air. But now the broadcast it's already a year is. and a half before they yeah. even feel the squeeze of the audience, right? Unsubscribed well, service. See, it, it's weird, though. See, that's why this whole, like you said earlier, streamers are new to this negotiation game. Broadcast has already felt the squeeze. They're screwed. Mm-hmm. So they're losing ad, like upfronts basically didn't happen in May. So upfronts are where ad revenues, ad uh, advertising time is sold just like Super Bowl, but it's for all the new shows that are coming on broadcast, whether it's in the fall, the spring, whatever. So there's also digital upfronts, which was for streamers. So none of that happened the way it should have happened. And any it, one of the, the, as you saw with Netflix, one of the big business model changes has been to try to make streamers have ad supported so you know aod so it's it's video on demand subscription on demand or ad supported mm-hmm. and A variety. they're all they're all struggling to find what works best and of course as we all know it's a combination of those things right so ad supported is already affected hugely affected because massive corporations who would be pouring money into some of these new um, productions are holding back because they don't know what's going to happen. So anything that was slated for fall, unless it already had a commitment and in the can, Darren, to your point, they're screwed, which means most broadcast networks are going to switch over to reality television, are going to switch over to anything that's quote unquote unscripted. Animation also, by the way, the animation guild has been asked to strike in support and they have not decided. Now I may be behind that was as of two days ago, um, which means you could be seeing new animated shows. Like we already are seeing, I mean, Vox Machina and um, love death and robots. These are all very successful Brilliant. shows. And while we lost prodigy, lower decks is still very popular. And I, I think that in general, you're going to just see a lot of reality and animation. And we're going to see that for up to two years after the strike ends, you won't see new scripted domestic product unless it was already in the can. And that's going to be confusing. How do we know, you know, unless you're looking it up on below the line and above the line.com, you don't know what's in the can shot already, not shot. It's. Yeah. And we follow this, right? What about the average Netflix subscriber who just, how long is it going to take for them to get bored? with yep. what, what's being put out. Yep. And this is where Amazon is ahead because they aggregate it. So they've got AMC plus, they've got CBS, they've got Paramount plus. So they've, they aggregated and did deals like they were an old cable aggregator where they took all the different channels, not just their own and offer them at some, in some cases, discounted prices. Amazon will do better because they've aggregated this. But as soon as those start falling off, so you see people won't be actually adding those channels to their Amazon Prime subscription, then Amazon's going to be hit really hard. 
And Disney already has been. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what Disney's going to do. I know Iger's got a plan. I know that he wants to just cut a lot more jobs. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the answer. Um, it it's going to be a. This is my opinion. I think it's going to be down to the wire who loses the most amount of money: the SAG after actors, the writers, or the studios. And whoever feels the pinch, not pinch, whoever feels the Damocles sword lowering faster is going to be the one that basically blinks at the table. In my perfect world, they come to the table, they find compromises together on these. Like maybe there's a little bit less percentage on the pension, a little bit less percentage on the residuals, but the residuals contract is for a longer period of time. There are really, really straightforward answers. I mean, I keep coming back to this is not complex. If they don't want to do an 8% residual, or I'm sorry, it's more than that, but let's just say it's 20% residual, then 10% residual, but it's over a longer period of time. And you, you know, those go down over time. I mean, that's just a standard residual. So you get the most amount in those first five years, and then it goes down after that pretty drastically. So those are all super, super easy things you can negotiate with people. Um, One thing I want to bring up. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to John Roca and Mike Vogel, who are over on Geek Buddies, and they said something really interesting. This strike is going to bring up the, or or highlight the burnout and what could be considered the end of the quote unquote gold rush of cinematic universes and requels for franchises. Requels? Requels, meaning Star Wars retelling the same types of stories over and over and over again. Not that they're not going to be successful, but there's a law of diminishing returns to Mm -hmm. these. So what was fascinating, and I and I talked to John afterwards about this, is that they didn't talk about Stargate. But this is what Mike Vogel said. And this was specifically as pertains to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny or, um, shoot, he had another one that he gave as an example. We love these franchises, but we need you to do something new, not the same thing over and over and over and over again, because the law of diminishing returns for fans means that we don't feel like you're listening to us. Now, I found that fascinating. And they're talking about this specifically to the strike. Because what's going to happen is Amazon and Netflix and Apple in particular are going to go out and find international shows that are radically different from what we're used to seeing. And they will be new franchises that we've never seen before. And are those going to replace our beloved fan franchises? Because they will. Uh, there are massively popular sci-fi in Japan and Asia that we don't even know about. And are those going to start to replace? Or even worse, does that mean that they're going to put on hold the franchises that we're currently about to announce, i.e. Stargate? Yeah. So... I don't know if that's what we wanted to get into, but I found that fascinating. I don't know if I agree with that opinion, but it is counter to every poll that you guys have done, that Sidetrack did, that Popcast guys did. All of those polls that we've done, all of us, all say that Stargate fans want something that is reflective of SG-1, SGA, or even SGU finishing it. What they don't want is some brand new film that starts over. This would be completely counter, and Mike Vogel's an exec, 
He's a showrunner. This would be a completely counter way of thinking of it. And I wonder if that isn't where Amazon's coming from in the fact that Jen Salka has been adamant that she wants a film to start it. And then she wants to hand it over to Nick Pepper to be a series. And I'm not sure if those two fan conclusions and business industry conclusions aren't going to go head to head. And I, I don't want fans to lose out, but I found that to be a fascinating observation about how the strike could affect franchises. What do you think what about you that, Darren? I mean, we're already seeing it to a degree in adaptations of uh, content that was originally right. IP that was created elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm thinking of uh, one piece. I'm thinking, oh yeah. Uh, stuff like that, that has it right. It has its roots in, in manga or right. other parts of, of the world, other, other forms of media. Right. It makes sense. It's, it's kind of terrifying. We've li- been living in this era for how many years now of uh, Hollywood recycling stuff, right? Yeah. Making, I don't know when it started. Maybe it started with the Star Wars prequels in, in 99. Uh, mm-hmm. People really started uh, getting vocal about Hollywood doesn't have any original ideas and they're right. cashing in on the familiar. That seems like that doesn't go away. Right. It's no, that's, but that's a consistent cycle. I mean, we all know that as storytellers and as entertainment industry. Right. You know, all three of us are diehard entertainment nerds mm-hmm. in terms of history of entertainment industry. That's a cycle. I mean, you heard the same thing in the 20s, the 30s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, in the 80s. We had all the big blockbusters and then we were all just regurgitating in the 90s those i mean that's why you had the rise of all the independent production studios is because they were tired Something of all new. those big blockbusters in the 80s and yeah. that that was the pendulum the reaction to and i think we'll see the same thing with the- with some of what we're seeing already with blockchain film in- industry and production which is a whole nother conversation because they are not particularly affected by this strike right now so the ones that make the big impact are are like the matrix yeah, because it's right. so. Yeah. But my point is, uh, as as great as it will be to get new IP to enjoy, um, it's it's hard to imagine studios going away from right the the cash cows of let's make another Star Wars, let's make another Star Trek. Right. Um, the thing that I blew that's me. Like... Sorry, go ahead. The the thing that blew me away was the statistic that I read uh, about the Rings of Power, and Jenny, you may. Feel feel free to to keep me in my lane here. Um, the uh, this is a series that is going to be a billion dollars amortized over five years. Mm-hmm. The first season completion rate, series completion rate, i.e., how many people, the percentage of people who watched to the last episode through the show, was thirty seven percent. People didn't like it. Yeah. Now, well, I have no idea how that compares to other shows on the platform. And What's this is, company? but that's like, you know, this is the, sh- this is the company that has Stargate in its hands. Right. And the other thing th- that I heard was there, there was a report that was generated about what the Amazon viewers were watching and which shows were, were percolating to the top first. Yeah. And because they featured certain, uh, undesirable intersectional DEI 
uh, perspectives, they literally were like, okay, we're just going to ignore this and create more of what we want because we think that this is better for society. Is that fair, Jenny? I think, I think it is fair to a certain degree. Absolutely. Okay. I think the problem right now is that, that DEI in general is being led to a large degree by pop culture because that is how, that's how it always happens. But that doesn't mean that your, your viewership is there yet. Right. And right. sometimes there's an inequity in the creative pushing the envelope, pushing the edges and the viewership saying, yeah, you know, I'm really not there yet. And that can be, unfortunately, in our society right now, it can be a very radical reaction to that, mm-hmm. unfortunately, as opposed to just walking away with your money. <laughs> so I think, I think that you are accurate in the sense that internally what Amazon's looking at is, is it a good story? Now, Rings of Power was approved before Jen Salka and Nick Pepper came on board. So I think to look, Citadel was approved before Jen Salka and Nick Pepper came on board. Mm-hmm. I think what we want to look at is, is that business model that they're trying to do with Citadel, isn't that interesting? Because from a Stargate franchise perspective, I would love if they did that. That would be spot on. Yeah, put the we gate on the moon and have it, it following an international team, you know, every week. Team. Yeah. And have different countries like Germany or Japan. All have their own units. Territories that were huge fans and still have a very strong base. I would watch them all. (laughs) As long as they're they're subtitled. Well, it'd be fun, right? Can you imagine how cool that would be? And then they all get together for one big reunion on an international space station. Or movies, have movies with all of them together. It'd be so cool. So I know that that's all being batted around. I just, I think the biggest concern right now is is where does everything go because we're in a suspended animation right now i mean you know it's sgu in the very last episode um i think that darren i agree with you a hundred percent i am so thankful they didn't make a stargate announcement i am so thankful that they hadn't resolved their internal (laughs) issues because I mean, and look, I don't know if they're still planning to do that, but my guess is with SAG-AFTRA, they're going to put it on hold. I know that there was a push when it was just WGA, but my guess, everything, all my sources have gone radio silent as of last week, and I totally get it. I totally understand. Right. But I, my guess is that I'm hoping that the MGM side, like Michael Wright, um, the people who are are super pro Stargate, have made some inroads and said, now's not the time. Now, here's the great news. People on Amazon side were also very reticent to, not all of them, to make an announcement, right? So you had people on both MGM and Amazon going, let's do it. Let's do it at San Diego Comic-Con. Obviously, that's not going to happen. So having that on hold maybe allows for some internal contemplation and hopefully more creative balanced heads to prevail i mean i'm always going to be the optimist even if i'm wrong at the end i'd rather be the optimist Mm -hmm. that those more creative heads will prevail and say okay look 
you know, Michael Wright's been banging this drum. He's been telling us we need to at minimum bring in Brad Wright as a consultant. Doesn't mean that we're going to do SD1, doesn't mean that we're going to do, but just have him there as a consultant so that there is a transitional thread that gets pulled through. Okay, cool. Maybe they'll listen to that. I know that Jen Salka is hardcore to do a film. My own personal opinion, I don't think that's the right way to do it. And here's why. Films are losing an enormous amount of money. And every time they try to start a new franchise with the film, there is an immediate cliff drop off to try to spend the money to continue that franchise. Now, I know that what Jen Salka was trying to plan was a film into a series, but that is doubly expensive. However, if she is using the Citadel as an example in a business model, you could do that. So for instance, Ciudad de la Luz, which is a uh, production company at Alicante in Spain that Priscilla is involved in. Uh, Spain is, uh, what was it? They are committing $56 billion, I think over five years to build their culture and pop culture as an export internally and to export it. Ciudad de la Luz is a production company that was state-owned, made super famous Spanish films for years and years and years, fell into disrepair, and has now had this influx, and it's gorgeous. And it is state-of-the-art. So maybe what you do is you partner with somebody like that, and then you look at um shoot i'm blanking on the one that's outside of okinawa in japan there's another production company there doing the same thing and then there's thailand who is begging for people to come and film there and what you do is you chicken try media? to put these pardon me chicken media yes yeah Sorry. and you put the, put these deals together that make stargate genuinely global how amazing would that be yeah. if we did that if we had that if we had the Citadel business model, but applied to Stargate yeah. franchise. I'm just now hearing about this. I think this is with Citadel. I think this is a great idea. I think it'd be amazing. Yeah. And it goes back to Mike Vogel's point, which is not that we don't want these franchises. We still want Star Wars, Indiana Jones, whatever, but give us something new about that franchise that re-energizes us. This would re-energize us. It could bring in, first of all, it could literally answer everybody's bitching about Okay, please, somebody just make a decision about this. Yeah. Do something. It can answer everybody's, and you never have this in entertainment, everybody's demands. Jen Salka could have a movie. Nick Pepper could have his series. The fans could have something that is not just referential, but involves SG1, SGA, SGU. And then there's something new. Oh my God, would that be amazing? Yeah, you get like a, an MCU place. thing going on with with Disney Plus and theatrically. Right. So, right. What I think that has be been. Christmas go ahead, Darren. That would be Christmas for us, right? Yeah. But it right. It, it would take a, a large investment, as you say, mm-hmm. and large investments have to be amortized over mm-hmm. some I, way, and or with multiple revenue streams. And yeah. and let's say this is how Stargate became such a mega franchise for MGM yeah. back in the day. Right had all these different revenue streams to sell it internet even before dvd sell it internationally sell it into syndicate think about the licensing and merchandising that you could have internationally which again globally is a bigger number than domestically so my god i mean think about looking behind you david looking behind you darren collectibles the opportunity for collectibles would be 
enormous Mm -hmm. because you would have all these different siloed stories that were being told, but they all tie together. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry. I get really excited about that. I, I hope that that's what could happen. I would take some version of that even, but we got to get the strike done first. And the only way that happens is if everybody comes to the table willing to negotiate. Comic-Con is next week. And I was going to be going. uh, I had work commitments otherwise that prevented me. And then lo and behold, uh, SAG-AFTRA pulled the plug, told them no promotion of of any kind. Basically, Comic-Con is going to be very back to basics this year, I think. What about Comic-Con are you guys thinking about in terms of the future and fan appearances in general? The point that I want to make sure that yeah, is on yeah. everybody's radar, because right, this affects fans immediately, not just because yeah. of, of content that we want to watch, but folks who turn up for these, right? Folks plan for years and save their money, right? Yeah. Maybe Correct. maybe they're gonna go to Dragon Con over mm-hmm. Labor Day weekend and yeah. uh uh and Holly's gonna be there and Jewel's gonna yep. be there and David Nicola is gonna be there. And now it's up in the air which actors are going to attend which events. Right. So it, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be up to, to the actors, just as, as it was for Tony's appearance on Dial the Gate, to decide yeah. what's appropriate for them and what they're comfortable with. But it's... Jen, correct me if I'm wrong, my interpretation of the guidance from SAG-AFTRA is uh, the actors are not to do anything that is promotional for something that the studio is currently trying to sell. But if an actor wants to go to a, an event on their own, and uh, you know, meet fans and sign autographs, and not mm-hmm. promote the next project. Then the actor's free to do that. So, Is that right? yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up. So, I'll send this to you guys. So, this was a codicil that was added to the strike order: no promotion of work under, to your point, Darren, TV theatrical contracts. That means panels, premiere screenings, award shows, conventions, fan expos, festivals podcast appearance and social media promotion however and this is the part that's that's a gray area while you are not allowed to do any kind of promotional for something that you are currently under contract for against a struck company what becomes gray is can you talk about a previous project with that struck company Basically, SAG and WGA, but SAG more, is is strongly asking flat out, please don't go to any cons. I'm not I mean, going to, if I, I, I wouldn't take the risk, you know, no. I, to, be, to be put on so and so went to such and such, everyone right. dogpile. No way. Yeah. Well, and, and I, regardless I of the reason, I found it a bit, bit bullying on SAG's part, but then I had um, a friend of mine who's SAG after explain to me about, well, the gray area is tough. And if SAG is not super black and white about this, then what ends up happening is a non-union actor who wants to apply for SAG after goes to make some money at a con because that's their major revenue right now. And they talk about a promotion. They talk about a production that they were a day actor on that is a struck company production. They can be denied SAG after membership. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. WGA, if you're, so we have a lot of friends who write in the comic book graphic novel industry who write screenplays. Mm -hmm. If they promote something in passing mm -hmm. at a panel that they are doing for a comic book that refer, refers to or references a production that they're working on or had worked on against a struck company, they can be fined or kicked out. Or if they're not WGA and they've got a pending membership, it would be denied. Because it's the so, equivalent of crossing the picket line. It is. Even and if you look, weren't a part of that group at that time. It's very black and white. And yeah. I find it a bit um, exclusionary and inclusionary at the same time, where if you're not part of the in-group, you're screwed. But I do understand because I, what they're trying to say is six months from now, we get it. But right now, San Diego Comic-Con is the third largest con in the world. And everybody goes there to make their announcements. We can't afford to have any slip-ups. It's got, it has to be solidarity. So having said that, I'm at Comic-Con this year. And luckily, while I lost two projects that well, are not lost, but they're on hold that were in development, um, I'm two of my clients are authors, sci-fi authors and fantasy authors. So... I'm talking to a whole bunch of people in comic books, in cosplay, in collectibles, in small press, so publishing, and they are giddy as hell because what they're saying is it has been years. Now, the November special edition in 2021 that we did at San Diego Comic-Con, it will be like that because nobody yeah. came, I think, except Warner Brothers. Yeah. It's literally going to be a spotlight on all of these comic book publishers, some of whom weren't going to come, who are going to come, like Aftershock Publishing is now going to be there. So these guys are being picked up and panels that were denied are now being quickly called upon to fill in because yesterday, um, I think it was something like 12 major panels canceled that were TV panels. Mm -hmm. So because TV was still coming, even though a bunch of film wasn't coming with the WGA strike. Hall but H now is just going to be a ghost town. If they don't do I, something to fill them in. I, I, you know what? So they don't do Hall H. Okay. okay. So what? So we've got Ballroom 20, Ballroom yeah. 6, and I'm going to Dragon Con as well. And, you know, you talk to Dragon Con, and I love talking to Dragon Con folks. It's, <laughs> it's so Southern. Literally, I mean, I could picture this on the phone. I talked to them yesterday. Just total shrug, like, okay. They're for the fans anyway. So Right. Yeah. All the furries are going to show up, so who cares, right? It's all going to be cosplay. Nobody's nobody's going to be worried about this. No. So I think what's going to be fun about Comic-Con is that it's going to have amazing cosplayers mm -hmm. and small press and comic book and writers and artists who are finally going to get a break in it. You know, it's it, they're going to have something to show that gets featured and highlighted and actually there's room amongst the white noise. Comic-Con is still sold out. 140,000 tickets or something like that were completely sold out as of a month ago. So for everybody or anybody who is spending their life savings to get here, I get it that you are crushed if you are counting on certain panels or activations outside, which aren't going to happen necessarily now, mm -hmm. about shows or films or franchises that you thought you were going to be able to be a part of. But there are activations that are going to happen outside that are cosplay and comic book and manga and animation. And all of those things are going to be exciting. And they're going to be so happy to see you 
the swag giveaway is going to be nuts because so everybody's going to be so excited to see fans come and be there. And same with Dragon Con. Now, I think the, the big question is because I'm doing a I'm doing a project, David, as you know, with Polly and Gary and those guys, and it's mm-hmm. it's going to come down to is this crossing the line mm-hmm. or not, and. Yep. For me, my biggest question is going to be, if there are picket lines at Comic-Con, I'm not going to cross the line. So I don't know what I'm going to do if that happens, because I would have to cancel a lot. Now, I can get, I can get an, um, shoot, what's it called, Darren, when they, when S, when SAG and WGA give a pass, exemption, um, I can get an exemption because all my clients right now are authors and comic book right. authors and writers. But you still want to be transparent. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's yeah. like there I are... want to carry a big sign that says, I'm going in for comic books and collectibles. You know, it's like, I'm not doing anything that's TV or film or screen actors or right. writers related. I mean, I don't know how this, we're going to handle that. This is happening. And uh, uh, SAG is already trying to be as clear as they can with the exceptions that are out there, right? So there yeah. are news broadcasters who hold SAG cards uh, who uh, there are uh, American actors filming projects in Britain. Yeah. Who those productions are under different contracts. Mm-hmm. They, right. they don't have There's a contract. Some of them are still that. going. So they're allowed to continue to film. And there are yeah. people, right, who are, you. Uh, I read a story about uh, you're given a little sign in your car yeah. as you're driving onto the lot and maybe make space for a certain entrance point yeah. through the picket line where the sign in your car specifies... Yeah. I'm doing this under this other contract. That's what I had in 2008. I think the, the, the problem here is 2008, while insane, was just the writer's guilt. Mm-hmm. So this time, you know, you don't drive into Comic-Con. You're walking in. So I, I literally am thinking about making a sign that says, this is what I'm here for, because I know people are going to be there picketing. It's going to happen. If it's not here, it'll definitely be at Dragon Con. I think that it's interesting. I, uh, I I lived in the third world for for better part of a year, and yeah. there I watched them uh, with all their smartphones consuming all of our media. And as the world moves toward egalitarianism, you know, tens of thousands are brought onto the electricity grid every single day. Right. Uh, this is the result of a of the rising tide. These other countries are going to come online, and they're going to have stories that they want to tell. Right. I, you know, I think that Squid Game is 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 one of the greater examples to it. Damon, uh, 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 is it uh, Carlton? Q, uh, Damon Lindelof, who, the the people behind um, Law uh, uh, of yeah, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, they're doing the three body project now. Or oh, the, yeah. three, the three body Benioff. problem, David yeah. Benioff and DB Weiss. They're they're doing the three body problem, which is right. a a Chinese book series. Right. And after I saw the trailer, I looked at it and like I read into the books. I'm like, this is really cool. It's you know? very good. So we're getting in these ex- this exposure into all of these other countries. Yeah. Then you pan back to us, us fat and sassy, soft Americans, and we're surprised when a lot of these other right. companies are going. Uh, they're coming online over here. They have new ideas. Right. See ya. We're going to go support them. This yeah. is the result of that. And it's only going to continue the as more of the online, world becomes more online. 
absolutely. The two production of mine, one of them may be able to move forward if we go internationally. Now, obviously, we want to be very careful because if we we don't want to in any manner, shape or form as an American group, development group, do any work that is counter to the strike. But we can certainly do development. We can do time and look at budgets and how does it work and who would we go to and what partners would we work with in country and territory. All of that pre-production can be done without crossing the picket line. Mm-hmm. So to, to your point, this had already started during COVID. Actually, this had already started in the late 2010s. But in terms of actual production, this is going to force the issue. Again, it's that pragma- it's the pragmatism. That's what just gobsmacks me. And PTP is acting as if they're the only people in the world that can possibly do this, considering that three of those companies rely massively on international product, essentially, it, it seems remarkably naive, unless that's how they're using it as negotiating leverage is we don't need you. We have all of this. And that and that brings up you know something that we should talk about at a later date is fairness and equity in international entertainment. Most of these other countries make massively less than the American Hollywood infrastructure does. So, okay, cool. Is what's going to happen that we just have Apple with Chinese child labor, but we've just used that business template for Hollywood exports and imports? Probably. So that's going to be, I know SAG-AFTRA has brought that up and said, Hey, cool that you're going to go do this international work, but uh, are you paying attention to child labor laws? Mm-hmm. Are you paying attention to how many hours can somebody over 18 be on a set? Mm-hmm. Are, do you have the safety issues considering what just happened on Rust with Alec Baldwin? And that's in an industry that has massive safety infrastructure. These do not. A lot of the other industries are very fast blow through it and do not have safety and security measures. Yeah. So all of those things are going to come up and SAG's already brought it up. Yeah. And the, like the Filipinos, you know, I, I know the one of the, which show is it that Dean Devlin has that's shooting in the Philippines? The Ark, right? Or uh, no, no, no. No, it's not The Ark. That's, uh, no, that's um, elsewhere. But it's his other show. Yeah, the other one he just yeah. wrote about. And, yeah. you know, they... <laughs> They're going to be they're going to be prepared to accept far less pay and with a smile on their face than yeah. than anyone who would have to pay for their you know right. their their multi bedroom multi story homes over here. It's well, the living thing. wage here is higher, obviously, yep. even for somebody that is middle of the road or just entering. Yep. So cost of living here is much much higher. Yeah, it's one thing. It's one thing for studios to take advantage of the strength of the American dollar relative to, say, shooting in Vancouver, right? Where MGM could could get more for its dollar, uh, shooting. Right, they shot everything up there. They shot. Yeah. They shot Stargate. They shot The Outer Limits. They shot. Uh, well, CW Jeremiah, shot its yeah. entire Arrowverse there. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's had visual effects heavy, and so they can make the they can pull off a lot with that exchange rate. Right. Yeah, so it's one thing to take advantage of the exchange rate and the strength of the American dollar, but when you're talking about going to a much poorer country where you could potentially, you know, do damage to the economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I just read uh, Peter, the Peter Jackson biography and how um, he brought what a digital online where mm-hmm. they could pay for uh, shots to be made at a fraction of the cost that ILM could. Right. And now they're a global player for crying out loud. I mean, right. that's, it's, that's how, that's how these things come online. Um, uh, I want to turn to some fan questions here. Um, uh, Hi everybody. <laughs> Watchers fans. George Turner, Jenny, who would be policing the cons for the union? Who would be what? Who would be policing the cons for the unions? Oh, uh, police. So local cap strike captains. So every major city who has production has a strike captain that's in charge of it. I'm pretty sure the LA one is also in charge of San Diego, but maybe not. Um, also, in some of the areas, there are actual con strike captains or people that are con representatives for the bigger cons. Um, look, I don't think SAG's in this. I, I don't think they're going to go crazy on this because they know the blowback for fans would be huge. But I, I would... I would be surprised if there aren't representatives here mm. handing out information about what the strike is about. Mm. And please, as a fan, do not support the following productions or buy collectibles that support the following licensing and merchandising of a struck studio. If I were the strike captain, I would make sure I had a street team down here that was super knowledgeable, super friendly and fans themselves. Yeah, friendly and, and, and prepared and to educate. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. information. Mm-hmm. more than trying to prevent people from entering the doors exactly exactly but i don't i don't know i'll, I'll tell you guys how it goes <laughs> yes please ba- backup beast has an interesting one to me striking over ai issues seems unwise such a move does nothing but encourage them to use ai well they have no other option does it not especially as the technology in a, in a couple more years you won't even be able to tell the difference on a lot of this stuff Compared yeah, to where we were with Lawrence two years ago to now, right. imagine two but years it, from now. Yeah, and look, I get that question, but no, it's a union's job to hold that line. What usually happens for most unions in any industry is that they're always working behind the curve, right? Because they're reacting as opposed to proactively getting ahead of what something is happening. That's, that's almost always what happens. So in this case, no, from a business model standpoint as well, as far as the companies, the studios, the streamers are concerned, there has to be some sort of business model infrastructure for it. And if there is a business model infrastructure, then you have to have a worker support that says, how do we protect the workers that they're creating, especially in creative industries where their creative could be abused. So I, I completely hear what you're saying because it, as, as an internet libertarian, you want that to grow. You want it to find its way. You want it to be egalitarian. You want it to be uh, free to find its way to the most creative people in the world. The problem with that is a lot of creative people in the world, in this industry, would not just get bypassed, okay, but they would their work would be abused. Mm-hmm. So it's protection. It reminds me of that bumper sticker from during Battlestar Galactica's run. Don't blame me. I voted for Roslyn, but I welcome our new Cylon overlords. <laughs> it's true. That's exactly right. Trenton, yeah. Trenton Darnell, what other uni- unions are coming up for another negotiation? And which yeah. of these may follow suit with SAG and WGA? So Animation Guild, for sure, okay. and IOTSE. Um, and ironically enough, Teamsters. So I think Teamsters contract is up in 20 early 2024 they make the whole thing go round man you have no teams you're in trouble 
I, I mean, I love the Teamsters unions. They were they were super good to me when I was first starting yeah. out in TV production. And as the only girl and then the only woman in a lot of these that I was working early on, those guys protected me like crazy. But again, that's part of, you know, make friends with the people that can protect you. Um, The Teamsters have a really, really good infrastructure. They rarely go on strike. I mean, you'll find that the Teamsters unions that are connected to mass transportation, to infrastructure, city infrastructure, they go on strike more often. For us in the Hollywood people are pretty pragmatic about Teamsters. You're not going to get anything done if you don't negotiate with your Teamsters. So um, all mob jokes aside, which has not been active in the Teamsters union since the 50s and 60s, they're, they've got the best infrastructure in terms of negotiating their contracts. They're very pragmatic. It's very They are ready months and months and months in advance. IOTSE is the same. You rare, uh, IOTSE represents anybody that's considered below the line. So it's technical, it's post-production a lot of times, depending upon where you fall in the post-production. Um, unfortunately, VFX, SFX, and you can talk to Bam Bam about this, do not, and, um, and Mark Savella, do not have a union. There's been a huge push recently what? to have a VFX union and to have um, wow. essentially a special I didn't effects know that. union. Yeah, there's no there's no union for them. So um, digital, we don't have a union. So I used to be IOTC. IOTC very politely asked me to leave when I went full time digital um, because it wasn't considered technical. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get that at the time. Argued it, brought my case, appealed it. Nope. So I think IOTC is probably the next up, if I remember correctly. Um, again, I don't see IOTC having a problem. They are 100 percent in support. They've been on the picket lines. Um, they're going to be affected probably the most because okay. of that hundred and whatever I was telling you, supplemental industries, IOTSE covers the most amount of those. Um, but then you've also got craft workers. You've got all the rest. Then you've got voice actors and animation guild. So those four voice actors, animation, IOTSE and teamsters, I think I'm forgetting somebody, the hospitality, the craft workers, but mm-hmm. They always negotiate pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the biggest problem is going to be is if any of those start coming up for pre-negotiations, because you always want to start early, mm-hmm. while everybody else is still on strike, IOTSE and the rest will feel pretty obligated to stay in solidarity. Hold frankly. the line. Yeah. Wow. So it could just decelerate even more. Yep. So, uh, Tracy, uh, out of curiosity, is there anything that we can do as a community to help support the uh, actors and the writers. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on this, Jenny. So right now there is a discussion internally with the SAG, with the regional captains, uh, SAG-AFTRA and WGA about asking fans to not go to the movies and to quit their subscriptions. So that has not, that is not something officially that has come out. That is an internal discussion about whether or not that's going to happen. There are several um, unions who are in solidarity that are outside the Hollywood infrastructure who are thinking about doing their own solidarity type of, um, we're going to pause our subscriptions to certain ones that we know are being troublemakers and problematic. Um, Currently, I know that there is a push to not go to the movies because that's the one that's an immediate box office revenue 
impact. People haven't been anyway. The numbers for these temple films, when you include advertising, have been abysmal. And you've got Mission Impossible, Oppenheimer, well, Mm -hmm. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible, and then the August, which are usually B-movies, but those make up a bulk of their revenue. I'm not advocating for anything in that area until I hear from the the strike captains what they're really asking for. Like, what would, would that hurt them? You know, I don't I don't want to personally do anything or advocate for anything in that area. What I would say, find on social media of the franchises, shows, comic books that you like, find the writers and the actors that you like and you already follow and make sure that you are reposting or retweeting or liking and commenting what they're talking about on social media while they cannot promote their current projects they are free to talk about the strike Mm -hmm. they can talk personally about how it's affecting them that social media has a much bigger impact than anybody knows on amptp one of the reasons that variety article about the anonymous producers saying that they're just going to starve out the writers and actors till october it had such an enormous blowback on AMPTP and, by the way, affected the SAG last minute federal mediation because social fans went nuts over that. So while a lot of times social is toxic and I wouldn't recommend it in this case, it's a find, find the writers, find the actors that you respect in the franchises and shows that you love. And make sure that you are commenting, liking, retweeting, reposting what they're talking about. Um, If you are an influencer, if you are a social influencer, if you are on anything that is a hashtag on TikTok that is currently trending, I ask that you make content that is in support of the strikes and show solidarity. If you are part of an existing union in an outside industry, I ask that you please make content that supports and is in solidarity. It's something super simple like replace your profile picture. It is make a TikTok video that says, hey, I didn't know about this, but I just went and did a lot of research and I'm really interested in this aspect of what's going on. If you are a nascent writer, a fanfic writer, do some research because it will affect you eventually. Mm-hmm. Because authors are going to be affected by this. Writers Guild East represents authors so this is a huge issue for anybody that is fanfic writer looking to write screenplays just looking to do something for fun and then when the ai gets in there i ask that anybody that is an artist or a designer or just fan art please make sure that you are very clear about that you own your art make very clear that you understand and get that ai is pop popular but you do not want your art reproduced or worst case scenario chopped up like a chop shop and reused for something else so those are three ways that you can really do something active and then honestly i ask everybody please do your research don't repeat rumors i I try to be super clear about what speculation and rumor and what is actual fact Rumors really hurt negotiations, especially if the producers see a particular groundswell in one direction or the other that could be based on something that's untrue. Deadline, the rap are the two best. I don't really rely on Variety and Hollywood Reporter anymore because they tend to be behind the curve. Deadline and the rap have some of the best up to the minute, and they don't report on something that isn't factually verified by the negotiating committees. 
Darren, any final thoughts moving forward about how you feel about this is uh, how this is going to move in terms of Stargate and everything else? Thank well, you again for writing your article. This this yeah. would not have happened because I read it and I was like, yeah. we got to sit down. Well, thank yeah. you for that. I again, I wasn't sure if I should publish it, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, if for nothing else than than to show the sort of support and solidarity that Jenny's talking about, I think this is going to take a while. This is going to take a long time. But as far as Stargate goes, we've been waiting a long time already. So it's That's annoying true. as all get out. But we're <laughs> business just, as usual for us, right? We're going right. right. We've been yeah. waved off of the the right. landing strip, and we're going back around for another loop. Yeah. Um, so it'll it'll happen. Stargate will happen when it happens. But um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm just just like everybody else out there looking for ways to to support the talent. So I guess what I would say in answer to the question is, in addition to everything that Jenny has talked about, I hope that people will see the the real human beings who are are struggling. This mm-hmm. impacts a lot of people yeah. in really personal tangible ways every single day and just because maybe you don't like the content that generally your your understanding of what the entertainment industry is putting out right now uh is not to your liking um please avoid painting all writers and all actors as you know as woke fat cats yeah Uh, people are 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 struggling right tens of thousands of people uh, are going to be struggling for a long time Jenny, thank you for coming on as well. Always, always. I love talking with you guys. This has been Um, a big deal for for me to have you both here. So to provide context, especially in the thick of it. So I, you know, I, I think, I think I've said everything that I want people to know about the strike and to, like Darren said, to pay attention that, there's a lot of struggling that's going on in this industry. And it's hard to see that when you have a lot of people that are billionaires in it. Uh, And I want everybody to find those people that you can follow that are those, those real people. Secondly, as far as Stargate's concerned, I'm always going to say, keep the candle going, keep the hope. Um, Oh, that reminds me. I have to show show you this because people on here are going to die laughing. So when we were doing Stargate Command at every damn con, this was specific to international communities. I kept saying, I promise you, we're going to get to you. I know we only are in six countries. We're working on it. I just moved. And so, of course, I found enough swag to choke a horse in the garage. And I had forgotten that the guys had made for me this Stargate Command T-shirt, right? Okay, super pretty. And then they had printed up just for me on the back. We're working on it. I know it's backwards. So no, it's correct. I, I just, I was laughing so hard when I found this the other day. I remember day. that. So I'm going to wear it to Comic-Con. But to, to that point, um, oddly, this strike yeah. could bode well because it puts a pause on the very contentious internal back and forth that MGM was having with Amazon, that Amazon was having internally. And and it was all very positive. I mean, they all want to do it. It's just that everybody wants to do it a different way and nobody can decide the best way to do it and who to go with. I mean, Mark Ferguson and uh, Hawk Osby, I think are amazing and they would be, I think, perfect people for this, but it doesn't matter right now. 
And what it gives everybody a chance to do is to step back, hopefully, like I said, cooler heads prevail, and maybe we get a better business model in place for the franchise than what we were barreling down on this path where there was so much pressure on both MGM and Amazon to get not just Stargate, but these other franchise catalog franchises out the door. It gives everybody a chance to hopefully be a little bit more creative in how they're approaching it and maybe pay attention to the fans a little bit and listen to them. So that's, I mean, that's my super optimistic, super califragilistic, optimistic view of how Stargate could benefit from this strike. Tracy says, thank you, Jenny, for the answer to the awesome answer to my question. So. Oh, love you, Tracy. Yeah, and meanwhile, if you want to watch Stargate, I got, I got news for you. Um, there's 354 episodes of Stargate right now that you can watch in the meantime. Yeah. You guys know yeah. I've been watching with my kids. How's yeah. that been going? Oh, it's been so much fun. They, I love that they get angry at all the right spots. Right, right. You are so lucky that they love it. You are, yeah, you are they, so fortunate. We finished SG-1. We watched Arc of Truth. We're into season four of Atlantis now. Yeah. They were... They watched Sunday, and you know what they said? What is what does Stargate have against their doctors? <laughs> the same thing that all of us said at the time. Yep. Uh, yeah. So we're into season four now. It's a blast. Isn't that fun? I haven't, I haven't I haven't watched some of these episodes in over a decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that we're. Uh, I think it's easy to make generalization generaliz- generalizations and say that this is just going to be awful for everything. But based on some of the information that I've heard today, I think that there is an opportunity uh, for the franchise to uh, really spin off into a new direction if a lot of these strategies continue to hold uh, water. Like this this whole thing with uh, Citadel uh, is all news to me. And it could be a very fascinating business model to move forward with like micro series and movies um, for the franchise and maybe take yeah. it in a, into a truly international direction, which is so cool. in the audience and on the screen, it's compatible. So, yeah. and it moves the so story cool. forward. Lunar yeah. based Stargate all the way. It'd be amazing. And hopefully I'll have, you know, some more news on things like that later on this year after we get through this, after we get through the strikes. Yeah. So in your opinion, Jenny, it were, we got a long way to go. Yeah. I, okay. I, I, I never look I, at one point we thought the one in 2008 was going to go for another two months and then they suddenly were able to come to a decision. Yeah. So I, I really can't say, I just, if everybody holds to the, I'm exhausted and I don't want to do any negotiation in August, which is what I'm hearing. Um, then we're at least into September, October. If, however, they all say, okay, you know what? We just got to sit down and plow through this. Then we might get something earlier than that. I I mean, I'm hearing worst case scenario. Like I said, first quarter, January, uh, first quarter, 2024. We don't want that. That would be a massive economic problem. Los Angeles lost $1.1 billion in 2008. And that, and that has a domino effect to all of California which 
<laughs> sorry, I'm a Californian, has a domino effect to the rest of the economic development in the United States because it doesn't affect just Hollywood effects mm-hmm. or tourism or real estate or biotech. So our aerospace. So it's it just all becomes, unfortunately, all tied up together. Yeah. It's not just about new episodes of your favorite shows. It's yeah. it, entertainment's a big industry. It, it has ripple effects. That's it. We're going to have a lot of people losing jobs very, very quickly that are in the quote unquote supplemental industries, which I always found very insulting. Um, they're going to lose jobs within the next 30 days, unfortunately, because a lot of those contracts are three month, six month contracts based on production. And all those productions are shut down. So, and how many of those oh. weren't working during COVID anyway? And now this one, it's just yeah. like you have to, you have to be a glutton for punishment to come off away from this smiling. You know, I mean, yeah, it's this is tough. And one thing we do have to watch out for, and if, if fans are looking for some way to be supportive, one of the things that AMPTP is famous for is retaliatory canceling of shows, and this has happened in every strike that's happened. Uh, because what ends up happening is reality programs and other non-scripted shows make them enough revenue that they don't want to go back to the scripted shows that they paused. So for your favorite franchises, for your favorite shows, for new shows, I mean, things like Abbott Elementary, you know, Quentin Brinson is very concerned because they just had season three greenlit. And look, we all read the news before the strikes happened we were already seeing shows canceled that had already been shot. Mm-hmm. Now they're, they are going to resell that content mm-hmm. globally, but not domestically. Mm-hmm. So that one of the biggest ways that you can support actors and writers is support their shows that are on pause that had already started shooting. Mm-hmm. And it's super easy to find those um, deadline has a whole list. So you can literally just search for productions paused in strikes and they'll give you the whole list And what you want to do is find your shows that are your favorite shows that had already started pre-production or production and support those writers and actors, because you need the producers to see that there's an audience still out there because what they do is they use the excuse, especially because it's summertime that nobody cares if that show comes back Mm -hmm. and they cancel it. They can't, they're no longer in limbo. They're just cut. Yep. So that's wild. I'm still looking for for season four of Snowpiercer. I know. (laughs) That was Good a long luck. time. Good luck. Wow. I didn't know you were I don't, watching I don't, it. Yeah, that's yeah. one that's going to get killed. I hate to tell you. That's yeah, because that's the price tag was high. Yeah. That's crazy. My concern is that this is going to go on for a, a very long time, an uncomfortably long time, because there are so many new players yeah. relative to five or 10 years ago, relative to 2008. There's so many yeah. new players with new interests that the industry yeah. is still trying to figure out how to how to accommodate everybody's interests, like a yeah. lot of the streamers wanting to keep all their data close to the right. best. Mm-hmm. And they and look, they have no reference point. Net, Apple does to some degree, Hulu does for sure, because they were there in 2008. They started to see that shift. But Netflix, Amazon, and certainly to some degree, some uh, even Disney Plus or Paramount Plus, et cetera, because those are individual silos. Those are people who are, millennials or you know younger millennials who have no memory and don't don't have any reference point for 2008 so they don't care in their minds we've got enough content we're just going to keep going we don't need you and therein lies the question earlier about ai we're going to just go use ai which is the sticking point in some Mm -hmm. of the contracts so i mean 
this could be a horrible catch 22, but just because it could be a horrible catch 22 doesn't mean you stick, you don't stand up for what's right. That just because something's scary and it might go horribly doesn't mean that you lose courage in standing up to that line and saying, no, this is morally not okay. This is morally and ethically not right. This isn't just about, oh, gee, we want more money, or this is morally and ethic, ethical rules that have been bent to the point that they are breaking or don't exist at all. So I think all we can do, it's not just cheering for, this is the beauty, actually. This is the beauty from 2008. I know, sorry. Oh, go ahead. So in 2008, social media was just started. I was working in social media. We have power that we didn't have then. And we had power then that we sure didn't have when I was on IOTC trying to strike in 1999, 2000. So there is huge benefit, huge power in the voices that we have in support of our favorite actors, our favorite writers, our favorite shows, our favorite series. And remember, showrunners are caught in a horrible position. Showrunners are writers, they are producers, they are directors. The DGA just signed a contract and the DGA had voted to strike, but the contract that the producers were willing to negotiate with directors took that because they knew the directors don't have at stake the AI issues and residual issues that the writers and the actors have. So, and there's also less of them, right? So the producers go, oh, well, we can do this. We can make your percentages. And directors already get an automatic percentage on the back end. So it is such a better position and leverage that we have as fans to make those passionate pleas known to producers. There, There is a monolith feeling to the AMPTP. It's hard to look at Amazon and Apple. I mean, it's bad enough just looking at Amazon. Now add Netflix and Apple and Hulu and Paramount and Sony and Universal and, well, not Fox anymore, (laughs) Disney. And you look at those and you think, how can I make a difference? Well, they pay a lot of attention. I wish they paid more, but they pay a lot of attention to our voices. So where we didn't have the power in 2008 and yet it made a difference, we can make an even bigger difference and have power now in saying, this is important. We are going to boycott. And I'm not saying we do that yet, but that's the power Mm -hmm. we could have. Marsha Middleton, what will happen with Dial the Gate in the meantime? That's a great question, Marsha. And hello. (laughs) Kiss to you. Hi, Marsha. So a, a lot of the Canadian actors that we usually have on the show uh, or could potentially have are not necessarily SAG. Uh, yeah. That, but I suspect they're going to want to stand in solidarity with them and not do um, uh, content So in terms of interviews. So I'm leaning uh, – season three of Dial the Gate started last September with GateCon. I've gone way into my summer break because I've got other projects happening that may forestall season four until like January of next year. Yeah. So I'm also looking at these strikes and saying, talking with with visual effects people, for instance, or others who are saying, now's the time. I've got all the time in the world now. 
So yeah. James Robbins, who I could never get a hold of to sit right. down. I could call him and talk with him, but we could never interview. I think we may be sitting down and going through a few years of his art. We're going to yeah. do the first one uh, next week awesome. and release it on Saturday. So, there, so cool. there is there is making hay opportunity here for yeah. us as fans as well. So Well, and I, you know, uh, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Actra. Um, the Canadian Actress Guild and the Canadian Writers Guild. So here's a fun little fact I didn't know until just recently. We, WGA and sag after did not support the Canadian strikes two years ago and last year. Oh. So there's some resentment going on that, oh, no. hey, you didn't support us. And a lot of Canadian actors hold dual mm-hmm. membership, union membership. So, you know, we'll see. Like at Dragon Con, we were going to have Tori and Jewel and, and Polly and Gary and who am I missing? I'm missing somebody, David Nickel, and we might not, yeah. because some of them have dual mm-hmm. union membership. Some of them are only SAG after. I think Rachel's only SAG after. Mm-hmm. So I think what's probably going to happen, I hope, is that for the most part that they're in solidarity. <laughs> but you might find that some of them would be okay with it because. They're not promoting a new project. They could talk about, mm-hmm. and, I, and again, though, I don't know. And they have kids it's to feed. Weird, it's a weird gray area of if you're talking about Stargate, which is currently a production in in development with two struck companies. I mean, I don't know. If I were an actor, I don't think I would do it. I don't think I'd risk it. Yeah. It's craziness. Jenny, thank, yes. thank you for this. Love it. Darren, <laughs> thank you for coming on, and thank you, thank you for spurring us uh, uh, to talk uh, with your yeah. with your words to talk on air. So, thank you. I want to know before we wrap, what are you guys watching right now? Well, I was watching Citadel. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Go ahead, Jenny. Um, we are watching finally the final season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, parents we, love it. I am, I know. I am watching Foundation because I hadn't seen it. We are finishing Ted Lasso and um, shrinking because during Tim's school, we can't watch everything that we want to watch. I am watching, um, uh, shoot, um, come on, Uh, come on. Well, I'm watching Ghost. That's my palate cleanser for fun. Um, And then, oh, I am loving Strange New Worlds loving strange new world so i'm watching that with timmy so we do uh watch together he's in chicago and then he's coming home for Uh, absolutely i am currently um watching manifest i am in season two i waited for that show to finish and i'm in it's very lost feel um it is campier than than i was expecting it's it's good though and I'm glad that it has a resolution. Uh, when my folks come and visit, I, we're watching. We're in the middle of Ted Lasso season three, yeah. and uh, I, yeah, I, I think I, I just watched a little. I just watched rewatched the Zindi arc on Enterprise. It's my favorite cool. single season of of, nice. of Star Trek. So, and Strange New Worlds. I'm getting ready to watch uh, season two of that. As, as oh well. my god, so, we're having so much fun with that show. Yeah, Darren, what about you? I just spent a week with with my brother, and one of the first things that we do is kind of catch up on what we've been watching. And and he's like, "Have you seen this? Have you seen this one?" And my response is always, "Nope, not enough spaceships." Is he, so he's not sci-fi. 
No, he watches he watches a lot okay. of sci-fi, but he also watches other stuff. Yeah. I apparently have a really narrow palette for my Okay, but what do you watch? So we know you're watching Stargate. So what else are you watching? So watching Stargate with the kids. Uh we're rewatching Foundation season 1. Um, rewatching. So it was that good. Okay. Well, it's with with a lot of these streamers, right? There's there's not a consistent release pattern and That's when there's right. than a year and there's only 8 or 10 episodes. Yeah. My wife and I look at each other and we're like, I remember a little bit about the last season yeah. of yeah. like The Witcher or Shadow and Bone. And oh we, shit, I'm watching The Witcher too. Yeah, yeah, we can, <laughs> we can through all of that. So we'll re- instead of rewatching just the finale to remind ourselves of where yeah. it left off, we'll rewatch the entire 10 episode season. That's what we're doing with Foundation right now. Um, I just discovered Silo. Which I'm recommending to you. Oh, really? So, okay. okay. We, I was wondering about that. A great okay. show. It was okay. totally off my radar until the finale aired and got a bunch of buzz. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So and, uh, I didn't realize that it was the adaptation of this. There's a a book series, uh, and the first book in the series is called Wool, and I it had been on my radar that Apple TV Plus was adapting Wool, uh, but when the show came out, they called it Silo. Yeah. And so it fell off my radar that that was the but same. That show. was it. That was the project. That was that was the wool TV right. show. It sounds so just said, like a, ooh, is the world outside or the silo or not? I mean, tune in to find out and go on Wikipedia a year later and read it. You know, but you're, <laughs> if you're saying it's good, then I'll check it out. So kind of elements of the hundred, elements of Snowpiercer. Interesting. Okay, cool. uh, sort okay. of self-contained society, last human survivors. Cool. Question mark. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. The, obviously I'm not going to spoil anything about, about a twist, but there's layers and it's right. Cool. All right. Versive twists within twists. It's all right. We got to watch that when Tim's on school vacation during the summer, we cram a lot in. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You can't. Can I share, uh, get a guilty secret off my conscience when I have five minutes to sit down? What do I watch? What? Below deck. Please, don't we all have those? I like hate if, reality television. I watch none of it. It's it doesn't have they don't have time to script a lot. So I watch the news and I watch YouTube. I was with I was home with my folks for like a month in between houses and my mother had Black yeah. Mediterranean on and I was like, I love Captain Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's so much fun to watch it. It's just we fun. Watch, we watch well, I watch uh reality television as a palate cleanser for fun. Yeah. Um, or if I'm not feeling good, it's a great yeah. one because, you know, I get migraines. So it's a great one when you just don't want something that isn't going to be. Yeah, you don't have to think about it. A brain you teaser. Just, yeah. But we've been super addicted on YouTube to because uh, my husband watches crazy amount of documentaries and yeah. history and all that. But we've been super addicted to um, what's they're called. Um, I forget what they're called. They're like massive downhill motocross races. And. <laughs> No, but they're all GoPros, so they're all from their point of view, and it's become super, super big in the past five years. And so Killian Braun is one of the top five in the world. We are so addicted to his channel. It's literally kind of a weird ASMR thing where you're watching this and you zone out, and then at the same time, because it's his point of view, you, well, I do, you yelp as they go over some cliff or it's a... 20,000 foot drop. So we are completely addicted to that right now. It's just, it's perfect for most terrifying ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, but it's the silly stuff that you watch. Cause my, my son and my husband are completely addicted to fail army and 
I can't handle it. I can't. I can't handle watching fail army stuff. It's, it's <laughs> just, I find it cruel and horrible. And well, I mean, you know, if it's, yeah. Remember, you know, when you fell up on stage, you know? Oh, yeah, I, I've hit my heads on all kinds of things. It's like, you know, I wish someone had filmed that because someone would get a good laugh. And I asked, you know, I asked Alan for if that. If he had it. Because here's what's funny. I found it funny. Yeah. Like, I want to watch it because I bet I looked horrifying, like, flat out flying and he wouldn't give me the footage i wanted it because yeah. i wanted to like make a a, a repeated put it to tune uh, i just don't want to watch everybody else go through well it. and I, it, since he built the stage i'm not surprised so that he feels I know, that way i know so. i know guys it wasn't his fault this is true <laughs> well, no right. i was um, looking over there <laughs> that's right. right there Jenny Stiven, uh, Digital Marketing with Clio Consulting. Darren Sumner, owner of GateWorld.net. My dear friends, thank you for joining me on uh, this episode. We consistently had 150 uh, concurrent viewers for two hours. Oh, wow. So, Jenny, I think that uh, the word is out that you're the person to go to with a lot of this stuff. No, no, there's so many good people out there. We wanted to get Claire, but she's shooting. Yes, yes. So, uh, Claire, uh, what's her last name? Bateman King. Claire Bateman King. As this begins to wind down, whenever it does, I'd like to have like a part two follow-up to see how things shook out. Yeah. Um, like to welcome you both back for that whenever that happens so that we can kind of have like a uh, like a resolution to yeah. to this and see where things fell. So That's thank great. you guys so much. Thank you for having me. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks to everybody for watching. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you to everyone who submitted questions along the way that we basically answered. So uh, I apologize for like Raj Lutha, Luthra, Tiptronic SS, uh, and to others who submitted questions uh, as well. Um, we've got this. Uh, this. Let me see here, real quick. I'm never prepared for the end when I have when I have guests on. God forbid. Um, we've got uh, season six and seven artwork with James C.D. Robbins. He's going to be uh, we're going to be filming this week, uh, but that is currently set for July 22nd at 10 a.m. Pacific time, where we're going to go through his art for season six and seven of uh, SG One. And if you enjoyed the discussion, please hit that like button um, so that we can uh, get the word out about the show just that little bit more. My name is David Reed for Dial the Gate. I appreciate you guys tuning in, and we will see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner, co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acri. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. <laughs>